There we go. So, where are we at? Genesis chapter 4, right? And we were looking at verse, well, we'd already gone through verses 1 through 4. A couple of you guys missed that. Anybody go back and listen to the, the podcast thingy so it works? Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I keep making them, but then I never go listen to see. All right, so we're starting at verse 5, and where we left off was uh, Abel had, well, actually both of them, Cain and Abel, had both brought their sacrifices, their offerings, and we were, we tried to be clear about the fact that that word that they're using is denoting a gift, okay? So however it is you want to look at the fact that they're bringing something to God, the, the, the text is trying to focus on the idea that it's a gift for him. And then we had said, it kind of looked like Abel you know, he brought the, the firstborn, the fat portion, like he intended to bring the very best. And Cain's, it just sort of glossed over it, like he brought some, right? So it looked like maybe that was the, the source underlying all of this. That's why God seemed to like one and not the other, but that's where we're going to start. So uh, let's go ahead. Uh, where do you want? Let's start with Kim. Can you read Genesis 4, verse 5? And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock, of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Yep, go ahead and read the next one. Somehow I lost my glasses. Uh-oh, want the mutton wine? No, that's okay. All right. I hold it far enough. There you go. <laughs> but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth in his Oh my goodness! You going King James today, buddy? Uh, no, this is uh, yeah, this is King James. Woo! Yeah, you got the vocabulary going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so I want you to notice the word "and." If you if we were to break this sentence down, it would be for Cain, he had no regard. And for Cain's offering, for Cain's gift, he had no regard. And that, we usually don't stop and think about that, right? I mean, usually you just look at it and go, oh yeah, Cain didn't bring very nice stuff and so God didn't like that. No, God didn't like the offering and therefore he also, however you want to say it, he was disappointed in Cain himself. And we usually don't think about it. We don't like to hear it because, well, that means that God could feel that way about me, <laughs> right? But he can. And it's important that we know that. Does that mean that he somehow stops loving you or that he loves you less? Well, no. But just like you ever have a dad who loved you to the ends of the earth but was disappointed because, you know, you trapped the neighbor's cat in the barn or, you know, something, whatever. God feels the same way. And so he felt that way toward Cain, toward both. And it, it said that he had no regard. Now, we don't have to go there. Well, you know what? Let's go there. Uh, let's go to this side. Dave, look up for us Hebrews 11, verse 4. And Frank, look up for us 1 John three twelve. Yeah. So... This thing, 
The fact that he had no regard for the gift, here's a little side note. We're going to relate this to the temple, the tabernacle, okay? What that meant was he could not draw near. I'm going to keep repeating that phrase as long as we know each other (laughs) because it's an important concept in the temple. You didn't bring sacrifices because that somehow removed, removed your sin. That isn't the way it worked. You brought sacrifices because that is what atoned for you so that you could draw near. The forgiveness that's talked about isn't eternal forgiveness like what Jesus won for us. That forgiveness, it's, it's got a local scope or context. It was a forgiveness that allowed you to remain in community. Okay, so this, he brought this and it says he had no regard. That means he was, he was not able to draw near. And that's going to be important as we read the rest of the story. Dave, read Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he had witness borne to him that he was righteous. God bearing witness in respect of his gifts, and through it he and through it he being dead yet speaketh. Yeah. All right. So key words in there. He was considered righteous, right? Why? By faith. By faith. <laughs> Faith through righteousness. Again, it's a theme in your Bible. And it and usually, I mean, like the, the big, big story is Abraham. The righteousness of Abraham. The, 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 the faith of Abraham it counted to him as righteousness. But we see it right here in Abel. By faith, he brought an excellent gift and it was considered righteousness. And it's important. What did he bring? An excellent gift. We can do a similar thing through our lives, and that's those are the things we're going to learn about, right, in Bible study. Got that thing, Frank? Or I don't think I'm in First John. All right. First John three twelve. Three twelve here says. I might have wrote it down wrong. We must not be like Cain. Oh, there you go. That's it. Who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Okay. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. Okay, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, so there you go. So why, you know, more uh, modern Christian words, why was Cain rejected? Because he was doing what was evil, right? But what was he doing? He was bringing a gift to God. It's like he didn't even get credit for trying, right? But think about that. Yeah, let's bring this to, to today. But I go to church every Sunday, right? Well, I went down when the church did their project to feed the poor. I went with them, right? It's possible to bring gifts that aren't actually pleasing. And so when you read that God didn't like the sacrifices and didn't want the sacrifices when you're reading through the prophets, it's not because God was 
ending the sacrifices, it's because of the heart of the people that was behind them. He didn't want them to bring sacrifices that weren't sincere, that didn't come from the right place. He wanted them to bring sacrifices that were uh, preceded by repentance and restitution and, right? It needed to be sincere and pure. So we see all of this right here in the Cain and Abel story. I know I'm throwing a lot at you because we're miles away from ever getting to those stories, but these are themes that run through your Bible and you have to see them because they apply to you. A lot of Christians think, you know, all that Old Testament stuff, the sacrifices, that, that, I, that doesn't have anything to do with me. I live under the grace of the New Testament. Two answers. Yes, you do. And uh, hold on a second. Of course, it still applies to you because it is the pattern of everything that you're supposed to be doing. You just have to understand what does that mean for me today? And that's usually where we get lost and confused. But I would be here for weeks talking about that. So we're going to go back to the text, right? So Cain and Abel, you get it. Uh, Cain was very angry. You said wroth. Um, that means he burned hot. Burned hot. He was mad, Dave. You hear it? Mad. And his face fell. He wasn't just mad. He showed it, right? It was obvious on his face. And so, uh, just so you know, when you say his face fell, you're probably accustomed to hearing that phrase, and he lifted up his face to the Lord, or he, right? You've heard that phrase? That is the exact opposite of your face falling, right? But it's, it's about your countenance, and it isn't just your countenance, because that is an expression of what's going on inside, right? So, anyway, super good start. This is, this is important stuff. This is our Christian walk, the, the, the pattern, the foreshadows, all of the stuff that's behind it, the themes that are going to carry through. So, hang on to that stuff. Where are we at? Mike, verse 6. 6 or 7? Uh, 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Your face, why is your face downcast? Yeah. So think about it. When your dad comes to you and says, why, fill in the blank, <laughs> is he, uh, what's, what the words I used here, is he rebuking you or is he giving you counsel? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Why? Why did this happen? What's going on? What was the source of this? Yeah, and how often do dads try to do that? And what do kids hear? All they hear is rebuke. I'm in trouble. Dad doesn't like me, right? That kind of stuff. And sometimes they're right. I mean, dads can be too harsh or, you know, never offer any good or something. Uh, like complimentary things, whatever. But we've got to see, even in this case, why are you so angry? Why has your face fallen? You could picture any dad in the world saying that to their kid. 
and they're trying to teach him something. He's just offering counsel. Uh, I didn't have anything else there. Anybody? Thoughts? I, I heard on the radio the other day in regards to what you just said how the world nowadays does not look up anymore. People don't look up. They don't look up at the beauty of the creation that God made. Everybody's got their head down. Yeah, phones. Phones, screens, or just because of dejection. Yeah. Their heads down, going where they gotta go. Yeah. And nobody looks up anymore and sees the joy and the, and the beauty of what's actually in this world to look at the positive. Yeah. And it seems like that turns people. That's evolving into a negative world. Yeah, our culture. Everybody looks right. down That's instead what, of looking yeah, up. Listening to it, and I'm like, yeah, it's good. Why is this on the radio then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of a a modern take on their face has fallen, exactly. right? Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Yeah, and then of course the question that they need to answer is why are you angry all the time? Why has your face fallen? Why do you never look up? Right? Yeah, that's good. That's good, Frank. I like it. Uh, where are we at? David, mm-hmm. verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. All right. Now, when you were reading that, did you feel like you were the winner? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because you got a lot of good stuff in that verse, didn't you? Right? <laughs> That's a good one. All right, so first, uh, somebody, where can we go? Todd, I know I'm working two directions here. I'm going to confuse myself. Isaiah 64, 6. Okay, now while you're looking, this, oh my goodness, this is such a good point. Listen to what it says. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Okay, now, I'm sure many of you have heard, and and I don't know if I'm stepping on toes. I don't know if these are things that you hold as beliefs or not. I'm not going to worry about it. I just, I'm going to make my points. I'm sure you've heard people talk about, well, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, man became depraved. There was nothing we could do about it. We can no longer do anything to please God. And then you hear verses like, you know, righteousness, filthy rags, etc. you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But I want you to note that this is after the fall, okay? And it says, if you do well, so first question, are you capable of doing well? For a short period of time. Yeah, <laughs> yes, intermittently, maybe, right? The point is, you are capable And if you do that, are you not able, through your own actions of doing well, being accepted by God? Do you see that? It's important that you see it because so many people act like, well, there's really nothing I can do. I'm, my righteousness is filthy rags. Thankfully, I've got the righteousness of Christ. And they just go about their lives being like the rest of the world. I'm sorry, that's unacceptable. If you do well, 
you will be accepted. You play a role. You have a part. Does anybody think that I just said you need to be perfect like Jesus? No, of course not. There were a lot of people in your Bible who were called righteous. Were they perfect like Jesus? No, no. It's, it's the loyalty. It's the, it's the, the heart behind it. The, the, uh, just the, the attempt, if you will, right? I, the, the intention, you know, what's the phrase? Uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, <laughs> right? And that can be true. I'm not discounted. There, there's a reason that that's a popular saying, but you have a role to play and you can choose and decide and it matters to God, okay? Um, I can't remember now what's in it. Todd, go ahead and read Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. <laughs> all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. Yeah. Now, number one, is there anything false about that statement when you think about it in relation to humanity? I mean, we've proven over the course of history that mankind in general and each of us individually, you look at the, the whole of our lives and it's like, yeah, I mean, we really mess up and, you know, our garments kind of get polluted. It, 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 filthy rags is the, the other way you hear. All of that is true, of course. But the question is, is that describing the entirety of humanity, the entirety of your life? Does that define you? No, it is a part of who we are. That's why we can have the thankfulness and the gratitude. Oh God, I can't believe you sent your son and you did. This is awesome, right? It's fantastic. But it's not the end of the story. So I'm just, I'm highlighting you can do well and you have a role. And this is what is missing in the men of the church. We've been meeting all this time and today I said it, right? This is what's missing in the men of the church. We, in this room, you could think of it as we could be like a seed planted in this church. And as we begin to take this stuff on for real, seriously, start actually being disciples of Christ, imaging God, we could be the seed that grows into something that actually brings change. Now, is there anything wrong with this church? No, it's a great church. But is it everything that it could be? Are the men of this church everything they could be? Are the people of this church everything? No, no, there's something more. And people all the time looking for a revival, sometimes they just go ahead and have them. Hey, we're having revival, right? But real revival is this, finding out who he is, what he desires from us, for us, however you want to look at that, and actually walking it out. That is going to bring real life to the body here on the earth, right? So this, this is good stuff, and we're not even done with this verse. What's it, what else does it say? If you do not do well, okay, listen to what it says. 
Sin is crouching at the door. First, doesn't that make it sound like sin is, I don't know, a person or an entity or something, right? Do you think that it is? In any literal way, do you think sin is is a, a, a thing, an entity, after you? demons possibly through demons but they aren't sin itself right so it's just interesting here just you're right here in the middle of this story all this big stuff and this the the authors i mean they're throwing like literary tools at you i mean they may as well be poets they're personifying sin as a character right this is this is amazing stuff sin is crouching at the door what else crouches? A line before it attacks, right? Yeah. Now go back to Genesis 2. Before Eve came on the scene, what was God doing with Adam? Looking for a, a helper suitable? Created all the beasts, right? Created all the beasts. And what was it? that was messing with Eve at the tree? The serpent was a beast, right? And what was it that Eve and Adam became when they decided to do their own will, desire and take, instead of obeying God's will, they stopped being human and started acting like beasts. Do you see how the writer is trying to put all this together for you so that you can see when you are not obeying God, when you're not imaging him, right? Following his instructions is a much better way to say it. He's given us instructions on how to be like him. When we're not doing that, we are instead being, and we could say this different ways, subhuman, or we're being beasts. Sin is crouching at the door. Sin is like a beast, right? It goes after what it wants without any further thought. Humans aren't like that, right? And if sin is after you, what does it want you to be? A beast, just like it. The same way the serpent wanted Adam and Eve to become like a beast, right? That's, that's what's in this story. So uh, sin, like a predator, of course, we think of probably the, whether it's Satan himself or demons, or sometimes you can just think of even a more general thing like temptation, just in general. Temptation is after you to get you to behave contrary to God's instructions so that you'll be like a beast. How many of you find that to be ridiculous and stupid and wish that I'd shut up? How many of you are thinking, you know what? That's kind of cool. I've got minor head nodding going on. So I was thinking about a different church visiting and the pastor gave a sermon. It was about Satan being, you know, What's the word, the verse I'm thinking of where he's like a roaring lion oh, yes. after you? Yes, 
but he started the sermon talking about sin and pet sins, and he was using the analogy, which is kind of funny, of a, like a little bitty kitty cat. Right. This is my pet sin, and yep. you caress it, and it, you know, curls up against your leg. And, you know, everybody likes little kitty cats. Pet right? sins, yep. And then as it starts to grow, and then oh. it starts taking over and being demanding and, and becoming oh, right. aggressive and how it, 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 that relationship doesn't stay under your control. Right. So the pet sin was like a kitty and it grows yeah. up to become a lion. Yeah. Ah, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. They like to compare drugs. You know, people's going to get on drugs. First yeah. thing you do is smoke cigarettes. Oh, right. So, so I kind of, you know, the, the, the crouching at the door would you know, be like, you're not doing right. You know, you could do better. Yeah. It's kind of compared it to, you know, we start out just by, by slacking off. Yeah. So yeah. drugs, yeah, drugs are that, kind of the... That would be slacking off would be just smoking a cigarette. And then, right. And eventually you're going to go to harder stuff. Yeah. So just like drugs, coffee, cigarettes, whatever can escalate to bigger things, just a simple thing like slacking off can actually begin to escalate and lead to the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, it's good. I don't know. This is, I mean, this is pretty challenging stuff. Are you, are you with me? You, you feeling it? You want to hold up your lighters because you want me to do an encore? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> All right. What else do we have here? Um, let's see. Crouching at the door. Oh, 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 we're not done. There's still much more good stuff. It's desire is contrary to you. Did anybody read that or hear us talk about it and think, haven't I heard that somewhere before? Does it ring any bells on something we've already covered in Genesis? Oh, when God was delivering the consequences from the garden before he actually booted them out, what did he say to Eve? He was talking about Eve. He was talking about Adam. And he said, Eve, your desire will be for him, but he will rule over you. Remember that? Your desire will be for him, but he will rule over you. Well, let's read this one more time here. This is Genesis 4, 7. It, talking about sin, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, I don't know why they chose to uh, translate this different ways. That's the same phrase. It's the same phrase. What he told Eve in relation to Adam, he just told Cain in relation to sin. What? So what do you think that means? What can, what can we take from that? Why did the writer use the exact same phrase in those two spots? Well, we don't have a chance as men. We, <laughs> we don't have a chance as men. <laughs> but we do because you must rule over it. Right? Of course, we need to maybe go back and review what do we think that phrase is talking about. But why in these two places? It's not going to be obvious. Do you remember? Hmm. 
can't remember what we were talking about when this came up, but let's do this. Just going to make it simple. Whose voice should you be listening to? God's. Whose other voice should you be listening to? Voice. <laughs> no. <laughs> no other voice. No other voice. You're only supposed to listen to one. Now, does this mean, like, for example, when God told Abraham to listen to the voice of his wife, Sarah, was God breaking his own rules? No. God knows what he's doing. Does it mean that, for example, our wives, when they speak, that we should not listen to anything they say because they're not God? No, because if we're going to be one, you have to recognize that they bring strengths to the table. In fact, they may bring things that you have zero of, and you need to learn to leverage that, take advantage of that. And so do they, but this is men's Bible study. So, right, it doesn't mean that you can't have uh, uh, another, uh, like a man in your life that you, you have some sort of sharing with, and maybe you hold each other accountable, or maybe, you know, he acts like a father or some sort of counsel or something, right? You can have all those things, but it means that God's voice is what? Working through them. Working through them. Yes, that's possible. But in relation, all of those voices comparatively, where's God's voice? It must be number one. It must be preeminent. It must take priority. So that when your wife says, hey, why don't you take my maidservant? Maybe I can have a child through her, right? Maybe you need to say, uh, no, we're not doing that. And then if God comes along and says, hey, dude, I know it sounds weird, but go ahead and listen to her voice. Do what she says. Okay, just <laughs> please be sure it was God, okay? <laughs> These were different times, different people. That's not going to happen to you today. But, right? The point is, you got to listen to the voice. So look at, look at what this says. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It was the same issue that happened with Eve. She spoke and Adam listened. He should have been the one to step in and say, Hun, don't listen to that serpent. Or, at the very least... I can't believe you ate the fruit of that tree. No, I'm not taking a bite, right? Something, but he didn't. He listened to a voice other than God's. And that major theme that runs through your Bible, you gotta listen to his voice above all the others. Is that always gonna be easy? Dave, you think you could get tricked on occasion? Think you could make a mistake and go, oh, I meant to listen to God, and then I thought, then I blew it, right? Of course, that's going to happen. But again, we're not back to perfection. We're talking about loyalty. We're talking about real, sincere effort. 
God sees that. He, if you mess up, but he knows you're... Look at David. David was called... <laughs> the other one in the Bible. <laughs> Everybody looked over at David. No, I'm kidding. He was called a man after God's own heart. Whether that phrase even makes sense to you or not, that was a compliment. That was a really big deal. Does anybody ever mention that he was a, an adulterous murderer? Kind of a big deal, right? But he was a man after God's own heart. You, you have to trust that God sees through it all. And that's a two-edged sword. He could be looking at you, and when you're making, you know, little excuses or rationalizing or whatever it is you do, okay, he sees that too. But when he knows your heart is to do the right thing and you just get caught up or tricked or whatever it might be, you fall to temptation, he knows who you really are. He sees behind that, right? So you got to put in the effort. You just don't have to be uh, a slave to the actual performance outcome, you know, every day better, just every day better, right? So we have to rule over it. It's the same thing with Eve. So we talked about with Eve, that was going to make our relationship, this idea of trying to be one, okay, it's going to be kind of hard because she is, she's going to have a little bit of a tendency to want to rule a little bit and it's not like it's, gee, honey, what's wrong with you? God said it. It predicted it. This is the way it's going to be. But he must rule over it. And that's a couple of things. It's ruling, this same phrase here in Genesis 4, it's ruling the same way that the sun rules over the day. The moon and stars rule over the night. So there is, uh, it's like a, these things are, are so inherently tied together that it, it's, it's unmistakable. No one questions if you said the sun rules over the day. They might not know what that phrase means, but they know, it. They know what you're talking about somehow, right? Oh yeah, daytime, sun, I get it. You rule in the same way, right? It's just, it is obvious, it's inherent, it is understood it is undeniable okay that's one side of it but remember we keep talking about it's not i'm the boss it's not you slam your scepter and so let it be written so let it be done right it's not that it's not that at all it can't be that you're going to ruin her okay but it's the same way we saw in creation god brought order from chaos. God made things flourish, right? That dominion was for the benefit of creation, whether it's plants, animals, land. Uh, well, let's talk about like the plants and land and that kind of stuff. Or if it's creatures like animals and, and those kind of things, all of it is when we do it right, they get the benefit, right? Can you, can you raise animals the wrong way? And can it be awful and, you know, you wish you'd never seen that commercial, right? Whatever. Yeah, men do bad things. But can you do it the right way? And these animals' lives are actually 
better. I don't know how much they know it or experience or, you know what I'm saying? It's different, but we can see it and know it. We make things better when we rule properly, when we have proper dominion. And it's the same way with a husband and a wife. It's the same way between us and sin, right? We have to rule over that. So, I don't know. I threw a lot at you. Is there more here? No, that's the end of that verse anyway. Comments and questions. I'm laying it on thick this morning. You good with it? Kim? Something bugging you? Yeah. I... Go with it, man. Okay. So I still don't uh, really understand with uh, Cain's sex, uh, you know, of the fruit. I mean, I know he didn't grow well. Did he grow from the earth? Why wasn't it as good? Because it wasn't, he wasn't faithful in his heart. Or, I mean, did he grow this and this was the best that he could do, what he was doing? Why wasn't that good enough? Right. Exactly why. I mean, yeah. Why wasn't Cain's sacrifice accepted by God? Yeah. Right? If that that was his trade or whatever you want to say it is, if he was a farmer, why wasn't that really not good enough? Yeah. All right. So let's talk about a few things. We, I think we mentioned this. Were you here last week? Okay, we, I, do you remember we mentioned a little bit about uh, what was the thing that God actually cursed in the garden? He cursed the serpent and one other thing. What was that? Uh, the, ground. the ground. Yeah. And what did Cain choose to do? Okay. Okay. He chose to work the ground. Yeah. Now, okay. does that mean that working the ground is a bad thing altogether? No, because what was our job when we were kicked out of the garden? To work the ground, right? But we see the connection that Abel chose to work with animals and Cain chose to work with the ground, which was cursed. Now, that doesn't mean anything bad all by itself, but that was like a hint. Okay, Cain seems to be drawn toward the bad things, okay? Second, when we were reading the text, let's see if we can go back there. Um, Okay, listen to how this is described. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. That's all it says. He brought an offering. Okay? When we get to Abel, it says he brought of the firstborn and of the fat portions. Okay? So, the text isn't super explicit, but I think what it's trying to show us is that Cain, you know, he did what was convenient and easy. You know, he, he fulfilled his obligation like, eh, he went to church every Sunday, right? He did it, but it doesn't say that Cain went and got the first fruits. It doesn't even say that. It just says some fruits, right? It doesn't say that he brought, you know, the best of anything. None of that description is there. So we get the sense that Cain, his heart really wasn't in it, right? And that, when we read those other verses, that was him doing evil, right? He didn't, uh, uh, Abel, in faith, brought a better offering. Now, you might even think, well, so maybe Cain was sitting around thinking, well, I've only got so much produce of the land, 
I need to save some for myself, so here I'll give God the leftovers or the stuff that isn't so good. I mean, you could, you could think that. I don't know that it's true. But you could think that. Whereas Abel's going, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to give him the first. I'm going to give him the best. And I'm just going to trust. Because Abel probably had a mindset that said, you know, looking around, it seems that God has provided everything. So if I give some of this back to him, it's not like he can't give me more, right? So there's a, the terms they use, there's an abundance mindset. We've got plenty. I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm just going to give what's right. Or a scarcity mindset that says, well, I probably need to be smart, hold some of this stuff back just to make sure we got plenty, right? Because we may run out. And so maybe some of that's going on in there. A lot of it is speculation because the text only tells us what it tells us. But I think that's where most people go with, well, what was so bad about Cain? So is that any better? Yeah, I remember it now since you said that. that, Okay. But yeah, I I see again now, yeah. Okay. But to your point on the convenience, I read a commentary... uh, because, you know, Cain did work the land, and you could say, you know, what was wrong with that? But it was to the convenience part, and it linked it that killing the animals was a sacrifice, which is what they did. But if you look at what happened, we tried to, or Adam and Eve tried to use fig leaves, and God killed, killed an animal. Yeah. An animal for skin, it took more effort to do that. And once again, that's not stated in the scripture, right? But you could get to that point that what Cain did may have been more of a convenience, yeah. than a true sacrifice, right? Yeah, that's so. Yeah, that's a really good one. Just the the simple convenience. How much work did it take for Abel to sacrifice those animals compared to loading up a wheelbarrow or whatever, <laughs> whatever I mean, Cain had? Took it for granted that they both brought their best, but right? But you're right. It, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the text wants us to see a difference, but it also kind of leaves space for you to imagine what that looked like. And that's, you know what? That's another thing that you're going to find in your scripture all the time. And, and it's a lot in your New Testament. At first, you think, wow, there's so much detail here. But when you start reading, you know, kind of like the way we read in this class or whatever, you start going through and you start realizing, okay, there's a whole bunch of detail that's not here, right? I don't, I don't really know what's going on. The difference is here, modern America, whatever, we love for when people teach. It's like, all right, let's break it out. I'm going to make lists. I'm going to give you all the relevant parts. We're going to lay it all out on the table. Boom. Now you know what I know, right? That's what we like to do. Here's a transfer of information. This culture, this society, even up into including your New Testament, everything, their mindset was different. Their mindset was, I'm going to give you a story. I'm going to sort of lay out a framework, but it's purposely vague in spots purposely detailed in other spots, but I'm doing this because what I want you to do is take that story and think about it. 
spend time with it. Imagine, well, I wonder if it means this, or I wonder if it looked like that, or, well, gosh, what if it was this way? I mean, what if I was Cain, I would have done that, or, well, if, maybe if I was Abel, I would have done it this way. You start, you, you're really working it over in your mind, trying to find the meaning that's in it, right? And for whatever reason, God thought that was a good thing to do, but that's the way the Bible's built, right? So that's another thing. We have to, we have to work these stories. You read them, but then, then the work begins. What's really going on here? Have I read this somewhere before? Why did it use that word? What, right? That's the beauty of studying your Bible. That passage I've drawn, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it from the heart. Yeah. Under the Lord. But for Cain, I think he was in a routine and not giving much thought to what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. Who he was doing it for. Right. Yeah. It's Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do it with your whole heart. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, it's true. It's good. We good there? Yeah. Anybody else? Yep, maybe. If you're a grain farmer, you need seed right. to grow a crop next year. Right. If, if you're raising cattle, you would need that. that you, you can grow a herd faster if you keep your firstborn. Right. If you, if you sacrifice your firstborn, now you're another year later on growing your, that's right. your herd. Yeah. And again, that's so... If I get away, give away my seed that I could plant, well, that's going to make it harder to grow. If I give away my firstborn, that just means longer for all of animals. All that kind of thinking is that abundance versus scarcity. Well, that, Who are you trusted? There's sin crouching at the door, you know, and that one of them is being more selfish than the other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that selfishness is, is uh, how do we say it? That's a, that's a road for sin to travel on. How about that? <laughs> Selfishness is a bad thing. It's, it is the opposite of God. The opposite of imaging God. So, anybody else? And we're flying through this. We've already done three verses. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to go this slow. It's just there's good stuff. All right. So, let's, I'm going to look at my notes here real quick, see if I got everything. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, we covered it. So verse eight, where are we at? Uh, is it Rick? Verse eight. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Yeah. All right. So first of all, some of you probably don't have the part where Cain actually says, let's go out to the field. If you look at your Bible, it just says Cain spoke to his brother Abel, okay? It depends on what their foundational text is they're using, whether they trust, you know, commentary notes, whatever, all that kind of thing. But it doesn't really matter. The story is, hey, let's go out to the field, all right? So that's the thing. Um, when they're in the field, it says that Cain rose up and... Uh, Another way to translate that would simply be 
attacked. Okay. Um, certainly, I mean, all of us, we've read this before. You can imagine how it might have gone down. But he spoke to his brother. Okay. In theory, the thing that he spoke was, let's go out to the field. And when he got him out there, he attacked him. So if we were watching a law show on television, they would argue that Cain's actions were premeditated, right? That seems pretty bad, doesn't it? But then it says, uh, he rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Here's an interesting thought. What if it said he rose up against his brother and struck him and he died? The question I'm, I want to get at is, do you think that Abel knew that he could, I'm sorry, that Cain knew he could kill Abel? Or do you think he just wanted to attack him, not knowing that it could result in death? I'm going to kill him because... I don't know why you just take somebody out just to rough them up or beat them up. You know, I think, I think my own opinion is he wanted to kill him. He wanted to kill him. Yeah. Here's, here's uh, uh, a little more of the question. Has anyone died in the scripture yet? No person, but... Maybe those animals. already made a sacrifice of animals, so mm -hmm. I mean... Yeah. Although Cain wasn't part of it, he saw, you know, that animal ain't walking around no more. Right. So, I mean, I think they would have known what death is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting question, and, and scholars argue about this. Did Cain really know what he was doing? I mean, he meant to do something bad. Nobody questions that. But did he really know that he was killing him? Right? Don't know. Just thought I'd ask you guys. I think Dave, <laughs> he probably thinking the way I think, you know, it's like, yeah, he totally meant to do that, <laughs> but I don't know. It's, it's just an interesting question to ask. Um, oh, well, that's, no, we don't have that yet. Ooh, good. We have a good point coming in a few minutes. <laughs> sort of obvious he doesn't know how to comprehend what God just told him. You know, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. Know what to how to process that, or he just heard words and didn't hear, you know, I don't know. Right, right. And so you just said it. He heard words, but he didn't hear what he was saying. So whose voice was Cain listening to? Right? You, you see it. He's supposed to be listening to God's voice. God was giving him instruction. Notice God didn't say, hey, don't go kill your brother. What he said was, hey, uh, sin's crouching at the door. You need to rule over it, right? Again, we see God discipling, right? And this, this is what we're supposed to be doing with each other, children, whatever. Tom? Kind of Cain sinned yet? <laughs> you just angry and didn't sin yet? It's a good question. Uh, yeah. 
It's, yeah, your question is good. At what point did Cain actually sin? Or could we count it as multiple sins? It's the same thing with Eve. When she decided, when, when she saw that it was good, you could say she sinned right there. That's where it started. But she took it and she ate it. Well, that was sin, right? Which one was it? Or was it both, right? It's the same thing with Cain. You're right. And I, I would bet you that the writers of Genesis 4, that they were trying to give you the same, exactly what you brought up. They wanted you to go, oh, that's just like Eve, right? So yeah, good point, Todd. Good point. I, I vote for sin crouching at the door. It's crouching there. You haven't sinned yet. Okay. She saw it. She thought it. Sin's crouching at your door. Okay. Yeah. So you're going with, it, it, it isn't sin yet because it's crouching at the door. I, I, I hear you. Yeah, I'm going with that until something on my mind doesn't Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. And see, that's the beauty. We can walk out of here on any given day and let's just pretend I think, nope, the sin happened first. And you might be thinking, nope, I think it's just crouching at the door. It happened later. We're still buds. It's okay. If it's crouching at the door, I've still got, I can still, uh, uh, what does it say? Close the door. Yeah, close <laughs> yeah. the door. I can, I can rule over it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's good. It's good. You can still rule over it. So I did want to point out one thing here. Cain rose up against his brother, Abel. You're going to find in verses 8 through 11, I wrote this down, six times it says his brother his brother his brother his brother his brother remember genesis 1 story of creation from kind of a cosmic perspective genesis 2 story of creation very personal intimate humans and god perspective chapter 3 that was uh the uh ruining of the relationship between god and man and now chapter four is the ruining of the relationship between man and man. And so you see this highlight, his brother, his brother, his brother, his brother, his brother. The, the story's trying to point out, this is man. We have conflict. And this story is just kind of like uh, a play of it. And so we're supposed to see in this our relationship with one another and all that kind of stuff, right? It's good. All right. Where are we at? Verse 9. What's that? We're crouching at the door. And I hope not. <laughs> Where are we at? Philip? Verse 9. Then Adonai said to Cain, Where's your brother? Oh, excuse me. Where is Abel, your brother? Mm. I don't know, he said. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> yeah. All right. So the Lord, he's talking to Cain, right? And we don't know exactly what this looks like. Because remember, once he kicks him out of the garden, God's not just walking with man on the earth anymore. So he's interacting with Cain in some way, right? But we don't even exactly know what that looks like. But what does he say? Where is Abel, your brother? All right. Does anybody here think that God did not know? 
right? And how many times, just, just bring this back to something practical. How many times as a father have you done it or have you seen another father ask a question like that? They know the answer. They're just trying to get you to, you know, kind of fess up or, you know, get in touch with reality or something, right? Where is Abel your brother? God knew he was trying to get Cain to do something. But what does he do? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So think back. When God came back, Adam and Eve are hiding, wearing fig leaves. And what does God say? Where are you? Right? And remember, I even talked about this. It wasn't like, think about your keys. All right? You go home and let's say you keep your keys in one spot all the time. Mine are always in my pocket, so I never have this question. But pretend you put them in a bowl or hang them on a hook or something. If you went there and your keys weren't there, you would say, where are my keys? Which is like a short form of where are my keys? They're supposed to be hanging on this hook and they're not there right? That's one way of saying, where are they? The other one is, well, let's see. I always put them in a new spot just to keep life interesting. And now I can't remember where they are. So where are my keys? Right? That's the other way of looking at it. Well, God was asking the question, where are you? Because Adam and Eve weren't where they were supposed to be. Right? Well, this, where's your brother? It's not like he could just be any random old place. He's not where he's supposed to be. Where is Abel, your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Adam and Eve, when they got caught, okay, they did the finger pointing. <laughs> it was him, right? But they didn't deny it. There was sort of a, uh, an admittance or confession kind of built into it. They, they didn't really want to take responsibility, right? They wanted to point the finger, but they weren't hiding it or denying it. But Cain, I don't know. Well, did he know? Yeah, he's laying in a pool of blood out in a field, right? Am I my brother's keeper? Was Cain like... 13, 14, 15? I mean, that's that attitude, right? That teen attitude, right? And talking that way to God. This is early on, right? This attitude. Have you ever seen anything like this in a human? <laughs> well, <laughs> I agree with you. He denies it on the first part, the last half of that sentence. Uh, this is not an accounting class, but uh, it's typical response for people who commit fraud. It's a deflection where they don't admit it. So he okay. lied and indirectly deflected it on the last half of the sentence all in, in one yeah. comment. Yeah, he's lying and he's deflecting. What's it got to do with me? I don't know anything. Abel's Abel. He can take care of himself. He's an adult, right? But... You can see, again, part of the point of all these early stories is to show the descent of man, the fall of man. The fall isn't just taking the fruit in the garden. The fall is going to cover many chapters. In fact, 
you're going to get to see us go through it twice. <laughs> but that is man, right? So it's a hard thing to, I don't know, see and experience and know. What have you done? Well, we're not there yet. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, Cain lies. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is another one. Because we're talking about uh, this is the relationship between man and man, and we, we're highlighting his brother. I wrote this down. Cain is defiantly rejecting any responsibility for his brother. Again, isn't that just the picture of man, right? We do that. That's not my responsibility, right? It's a hard thing. Any comments or questions there? All right, Todd, verse 10. Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. (laughs) Okay, so again, don't mean to be too repetitive, but God asks, what have you done? Did God not know? Of course he knew. He's trying to get Cain to fess up, trying to get Cain to take some responsibility in the matter. Cain's not having any of it. What have you done? And then, check this out. The voice of your brother's blood. Remember how we said sin is crouching at the door? It's like the the writer was trying to make sin a person or an entity in and of itself, even though we know it's just an action. The voice of your brother's blood is crying out. Again, he's personifying this thing. Does blood have a voice? Can it cry out, right? No. But again, you see, and this is another thing that's often shocking to people, your Bible is filled with poetry and all kinds of just literary stuff that if you were in a bookstore and you were in the section and it said poetry, you just keep walking, right? I don't want to read that. Come on, give me some action adventure or whatever. But your Bible's filled with it. It gets lost in translation. But can you see how when you see things are repeated or you see common themes, uh, like he personified sin, now he's personifying the blood or the voice of the blood, whatever. These are all little literary tools. If we were like fluent in Hebrew, however however uh, vivid you think we're trying to make it, right? A God in 8K, right? However, however much you think we're doing it, there's so much more that we could see, so much more we could identify and learn looking at the Hebrew that we're just missing out on. And if I knew it, I would tell you it, but I don't know it. So, but that, that go ahead. Well, one thing that jumped out to me in my version, it has an exclamation mark exclamation point right there yeah. after that sentence. Yeah. It's not just a period. Yeah. Your brother's blood cries out. Right. Exclamation mark. Yeah. 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 Now that translator, I think that's awesome. But do you know in Hebrew, do they have punctuation? No. No punctuation. In fact, they don't even have what we would call vowels, just consonants, right? Could you imagine reading a book and it didn't have any A's, E's, I's, O's, or U's in it. Sometimes Y. <laughs> I'd throw that in there. <laughs> I could be a teacher. 
I know stuff. All right. What have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out, exclamation point, to me from the ground. Okay. So there's a couple things here. God, I mean, is he not at this point letting Cain know, I see everything. There is nothing you can hide from me. Right? Now, for all of us, please don't think when I'm saying things to you that I'm not talking to myself too. All of us should just cringe at that thought. There is nothing that is hidden from him. But if we can grab hold of that truth, really take that to heart, well, let's just use modern lingo. That'd be a pretty good deterrent, wouldn't it? Right? If you, and here's what it really boils down to. Let's just get real for a second. If I'm saying to you, God sees everything. If you really believed that, and let's just be fair. If I also really believed that, would I sin? You wouldn't. You're still sin. Not if you really believed it. You, I mean, okay, sure. Could you have an accident? Could you fall, right? Temptation, something. But it, this idea of believing something, people will say, just as an example, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Do they really? You behave differently when you really believe something to be true. You just do. And so we can talk about belief all day when we're talking about it in the same sense we talk about believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or whatever. But real belief, real belief manifests in behavior, right? You know what a person really believes by watching them, not listening to them. It's a big difference, right? And so when you read in your New Testament, uh, John 3.16, somebody, somebody repeat that for me. Yeah, so whoever what? Whoever believes. Do you think they're just talking about something mental, something in your brain? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe. I believe in God. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about real belief, the kind of belief that it's so real for you that you actually act on it. It changes you. You're different because you believe it, right? It's, it's not shallow. It's not fake. It's not intermittent. It's none of those things. It is life-changing. That's what he's talking about. So, uh, what were we saying? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, God sees everything. And the blood, in this case, is the evidence. It's like the witness or the testimony against him, right? There's a, there's a saying in Judaism that the life is in the blood. 
Okay, that relates again to the temple. We're going to, sorry, that's going to come up a lot. The life is in the blood. But why is that important? Because it wasn't the death of the animal that brought the atonement. It was the life of the animal. And so as we look at Jesus's death as a metaphor related to the temple, it wasn't his death that was the important part. It was his life. The fact that he was sinless, he didn't deserve to suffer. The fact that he was sinless, he didn't deserve to die. But because he did, his life had merit. And that merit is abundant and overflowing and can be applied to us. That's grace. We call it unmerited favor, but the truth is, well, it's unmerited by us, but it was merited by Jesus, by his life. That's why it counts, right? The life is in the blood. Anyway, that was the testimony. And this, (laughs) I love this. You wouldn't know it in your translation, but if you look underneath, it says, your brother's blood is crying out to me. The word blood is plural. Why do you think that would be? See, this is good. Again, I'm going to talk a little bit about Judaism. They see murder as not just killing a person, but actually killing an entire universe. I know that probably sounds a little extreme or whatever, right? Hyperbole, whatever. But what they're saying is when you kill a person, you have also killed all of his offspring and all of his offspring's offspring and all of his offspring's offspring's offspring, right? On down the line, you've killed them all. And so your brother's bloods, the lives, right? Not just your brother, but all of the potential offspring, everything that could have come from him, you have killed it all. And all of that blood is crying out to God. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. But it's a cool picture. And again, it's one of those things Okay, so the Jews would say something like, if you kill a man, you've killed an entire universe. Well, they're trying to emphasize the value of that one life. They're trying to emphasize just how bad it is, this thing that you have done. And that, those images are helpful. I'm guessing none of you have murdered anyone or will be murdering anyone, but... It's, it's good. That's a great example of how you can look at any kind of sin, any sort of instruction from God and say, look, we need to view this in its proper light. We need to understand how important this instruction is, even though it might seem minor. Right? We'll talk about it one day. Todd's already heard this one, but you know, don't take the eggs out of the nest while the mother bird is still around, right? That doesn't sound like all that big of a deal, right? Whatever. But it's so important. It, it, we'll talk about it one day. What the, the great uh, ideal 
that, that is underneath that instruction and what that means in our lives. But we can see the importance of them all if we look into them, right? And so that's an example. You kill one man, you kill an entire universe. So anyway, well, we didn't make great progress in terms of the number of verses, but we made great progress in study and thoughts and ideas and whatever. What do you guys got? Anything? Well, I had an interesting thought when when Abel obviously was killed. I guess he was the first soul to enter heaven. Ooh. So, I mean, that's just kind of like weird, like, you know, like, all right, here I am now without a body. <laughs> the presence of, and nobody else is here right I, mean, I know god had to be there right but yeah that had to be a kind of a big transition for him since he was the first the first human to die yeah he's down in paradise going i'm yeah. alone yeah what's going on here <laughs> no abraham to be in his bosom right yeah. that's a really good thought yeah what was that what was that like of course to your point we are in the presence of the lord in some way, we don't know what that means, what it looks like, feels like, whatever, but I'm sure he didn't feel alone, but still, you know, Transition. yeah, you're kind of looking around. It's like, <laughs> it's okay. You're the first. Just give it a little time, you know. I, yeah, that is, that's funny. It's a good point. Anybody else? Nothing, huh? All right, I'm going to hit the button. Was there eternal life before 